0: Coming up today on Locked On Texas Tech, folks are talking about talking about television contracts. We're going to talk about it, too. Also on the way, we take a closer look at new Texas Tech defensive coordinator, Tim DeRuiter, and the big man up front on Coach DeRuiter's side of the football, Tyree Wilson, getting some attention already from the National Football League. We're getting to all of that and more coming up today on Locked On Texas Tech.
1: You are locked on Texas Tech. Your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We're going to start this thing off right.
0: Thanks once again for joining us on Locked On Texas Tech, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team. Every day, no paywall for free, anywhere you get your podcasts or subscribe there on YouTube as well. I'm Casey Cowan with the only Chris Level to my left. And Chris, we got plenty to be excited about here this week as we spent a lot of time talking Texas Tech football. We got a season kickoff just a few days away, Saturday night from the Jones as the Red Raiders hook up with Murray State. And we will get back to talking Texas Tech football On this episode, but there's some other exciting things that uh, are beginning to manifest here this week as it relates to a big picture future. We're talking about the Big 12, and of course, that means we're talking about the future of Texas Tech, as you might have seen by now as we inch closer to the end of the week. Fox Sports, ESPN reportedly open to engaging in talks immediately with the Big 12 conference as it relates to the future of television. Uh, broadcasting agreements. So these things can change from day to day, maybe even sometimes from hour to hour. But uh, we'll get into what this means for the Big 12 for Texas Tech and beyond. But no question about it, this always moves the needle, Chris, that gets people's attention. Realignment fever. Even a few days away from the season, you can't stop it.
1: I was not expecting this this morning. Uh, this This is kind of non news in some ways, otherwise, but but in some ways it could be massive news. I I think if I this is really news in my opinion for the Pac twelve as much as it is the Big Twelve. You know, I I think this was a really strategic move by the Big Twelve today because basically what has happened is, and it's going to start a snowball effect of sorts, domino effect, whatever. In that. You 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 decide to announce publicly. We're gonna kind of you know take a shot at this early on, way ahead of of time before we're really supposed to. And I think it is a red flashing light to the Pac-12 in that the Big 12 wants real data. They want real numbers. They want to find out what they're worth, not not what their Twitter worth is or what somebody <laughs> on a message board thinks, like Sports.com, something like that. They want to know what 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 real numbers they can potentially tell Arizona, Utah, people like that. What what people really or forget I think is that the exclusive window for the Pac-12 to negotiate ended about a month ago with their current TV partners. I think they thought they were going to have the first bite at the apple and be first in line and be before everybody, but they didn't get anything done and now everybody's waiting and seeing so the Big 12 has basically said to everybody we're, we're, we're going to get involved now. We're, we're going to see what, what the deal is, and now let's let's start the process. It also means, Casey, and this is, I think, fairly substantial news. If you start getting into these conversations, I think it does give Oklahoma and Texas an out. I think they can start to neg- you know, negotiate their exit maybe a year early. I've, I've often th- thought and said, I think this will be the last time that you get Oklahoma and Texas in Lubbock. will be this season. This only speeds that up potentially, although there's that side deal with with Texas and the political folks that, you know, that the Texas Tech folks could end up, you know, getting the home and home with Texas and all that stuff. But that will set that off to the side. But I think this is fairly fascinating today, Casey, because I'm curious what ends up coming of it and kind of what this was a strategic move by the Big 12 and Brett Yormark today. There's no doubt about it. And there's got to be something on the part of the network that
0: involves strategy as well, don't you think? Maybe as far as uh, motivating some of those still in a Pac-12 house right now to potentially consider acting sooner rather than later. I don't know exactly what the future is going to hold, but I do look to the past and when the Texas Oklahoma exit news broke, I did feel like, as you were alluding to there, that uh, what was on paper as far as a term of agreement that they would have to fulfill would not be what the reality uh, was going to reflect. Where there is a will, there is a way. And I think for the most part, and count me as a tech fan included in this, I think there's a real appetite to get down the road after these types of agreements are in place and after the entire world knows. uh, I think there begins to really be, I'm going to borrow a couple of phrases from you. I think there is a snowball full of dominoes that begins to roll down the street uh, whenever so much of this is already agreed to and people are ready to get on to the next thing. I think the writing has been on the wall for the Pac-12 for some time. Those not named Oregon and Washington specifically, probably Stanford on that list also to a degree. Uh, But if you're talking about the Four Corners, if you're talking about Utah, Colorado, or the Arizona schools uh, that have mostly been within the kind of context of of Big 12 possible expansion conversation, the writing has been on the wall for them for a while. And look, I'm not trying to push them to get finished with the uh, grief, the stages of grief, the grief cycle. Go ahead and take your time, and do your thing, but there's a point where you have to get out of the denial phase, and you've got to begin to bargain with your new reality. And we know this, don't we? As tech fans, I mean, we're getting used to a new normal. Uh, as is, I mean, I mean, as we speak, because you've got you're in a conference with freaking Cincinnati for crying out loud now. Uh, moving forward, so <laughs> there's a new normal for a lot of folks. I kind of feel like as a Texas Tech fan within that new normal. However, Chris. This is all good news if you're thinking that Texas Tech's home for the foreseeable future and really an extended foreseeable future is going to be in the Big 12 conference. And you know what? I pat the fans on the back in this one. And I know it ties in somewhat to administration, boosters, support, uh, infrastructure at the university. It all kind of reflects one another. But for a period of time now, without the media reporting on this or highlighting this, Big 12 fans have cared more about every ball that bounces or is thrown or is shot or is passed or is golfed or chipped or whatever than Pac-12 fans do, period. And I think that's why you see, while the cream of the crop of the Pac-12 still has obviously good opportunity in the Big 10, there's some pretty good middle ground programs uh, who probably need to look the way of the Big 12 if you're actually, and I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud, are actually looking for stability, could it possibly be the case that the Big Twelve somehow right now is is feeling like their house is not built upon sand anymore?
1: Cowan, let's make it clear: the Pac-12 is vulnerable. They they are because you you were vulnerable a year ago, and then you responded by adding four schools. That it may not ultimately add a ton of dollars. It will, but I don't. I don't know if it. But you added really good football programs. And Look at the top twenty-five polls this year. I mean, Cincinnati was a, a playoff team last year. Uh, they're, they're expected to be really, really good again this year. Uh, Houston is a top twenty-five team, and, and all those things. There's nobody for the Pac-12 to add. Okay, they are vulnerable. They are reeling. They are, as you mentioned, they're processing their stages of grief. Ultimately, okay. how this is going to play out is this. I I think you hear the Big Ten commissioner. He has been perfectly clear about they are not done. And so how this is going to end up, if we just want to skip to the end here, I don't know how long we'll have to wait before we get to this point. But in my opinion, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal are going to end up being Big Ten schools in in the big picture. And I think at that point, people are going to be just just you know begging for a life raft from the Big 12 and i don't know if you're in a position to add all of those other schools some of them i i don't know that but i'm telling you utah and arizona are going to top that list and i think arizona state factors in at some level too but do, do you need two do you need four but uh, you know if you're washington state and you're oregon state you're screwed i guess that's my point uh, long a thousand term. percent,
0: and I don't care. Uh, let's talk four <laughs> corner schools, let's talk reasonable natural fit. Um, we already understand that you're having to take on some things to kind of shore up a raft that had some holes in it with Texas and Oklahoma bouncing. You're there is no longer power five, obviously, but I feel like when the Big 12 said we're going to bring on these new four in uh, Central Florida, Cincinnati, uh, BYU, and hell, you know, I can't remember the, the fourth one. Uh, when they said they're going to bring on those four. I kind of felt like the Big 12 was saying, okay, well, we may not be third anymore among the Power Five conferences, or we're going to really have to fight to be third with the ACC, but we're not burying ourselves with the Pac-12, because the writing has been on the wall for the Pac-12 for a considerable amount of time now. I mean, it really hadn't even been much of a secret if you paid attention. Expanded conference, got you nothing revenue-wise. Conference championship game, got you nothing revenue-wise. Conference television network, got you nothing revenue-wise. And they had no more bullets to fire. They only had Larry Scott to fire. I mean, this writing has been on the wall. Part of it does have to do with geography. I really think so. And culture. Like I talked about, those on the West Coast, God bless them, they say, well, we got the Pacific Ocean, and maybe that is the case. If the We Pacific, like to surf. If the Pacific bordered Lubbock, I don't know if I'd care about a football game, but it doesn't, <laughs> and I do. And most Big 12 fans feel the same way. So I think there's some credit. Uh, even to those who are not fans of Blue Blood programs like Oklahoma and Texas, there's credit to some of those in the Big 12 who, has turn, who have turned those turnstiles at every stadium and, and yada, 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 have kind of made a difference here in that you know you're not, you're not a doormat league. You're not going to be the SEC or the Big Ten, uh, but can you gain access to the playoff? Can you continue to increase annual revenue for your members compared to what they were getting previously? I don't think that's all that insane if you're pulling some of this off with the Pac-12 conference. I want to ask you a question though, specifically about Texas Tech, Chris, because I'm talking a lot about the future of the Big 12 and what it can be and this and this and this. Do you think that, that Texas Tech from the inside, is that the commitment now that, hey, we're going to try to be as big and bad within this conference as we can, and in doing so, try to assist making this conference as big and bad as we can? Because I don't want to put you know, the cart before the horse, if maybe it's remaining a little bit more fluid uh, than I'm speaking to.
1: Yeah. I I think there was a time, I mean, let's just go back to last July and August. I mean, there was a time if the PAC 12 called, I think you would have seriously engaged and you would have done it. Um, You would have done it. And I think that it, it is a situation to where if, if, you know, if you had have done it, I don't know if everybody would have been anywhere near as interested in the West Coast time zone and the late night kicks and all those things as they think they would have. <laughs> right, you know, so it sounds good in theory, but 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 at the time, it's about survival. You're just trying to make a a go of it and everything like that. I, I think now, though, I don't I don't think you would be interested in in trying to join. Uh, that that league, they, they, because as soon as the Big Ten calls a Washington or an Oregon, they're gonna go and they should. So Absolutely. even if this is a temporary scenario, uh, and and maybe it's a year or two down the road before the Big Ten says, okay, now we'll do it. Um, you know, there's an eventuality there. I, I guess is my point. And at some point, Washington and Oregon are gonna have to make a decision. It's a game of chicken. We talked about this the other day. They're going to have to listen and say, okay, do we want to lock ourselves up here, there? Do we want to wait? And they're kind of. You know, it, it's an interesting scenario there, but they're going to bring along Stanford and Cal, I think, with them. That's that's my opinion. Do you think that
0: depend that collection depends on Notre Dame? Is Cal out if Notre Dame says, "Give me Stanford as a traveling partner and get these other two yahoos"? Oh yeah, Dame? yeah.
1: I I think uh, I think Notre Dame trumps them all. We know that. Well, yeah. Everybody, you I'm know, curious is... about Cal getting in
0: because they got to be reminded they have an athletics department. It seems like does it not matter? <laughs> You know, and their their
1: stadium is like, what is it? It's. not uh, it on a
0: volcano? Earthquake proof. It's, it's built on a volcano.
1: Yeah, it's earthquake proof. Um, you know that that just, but but, I think that's more about, and, and there are the theories out there, Casey, about USC wanting to squeeze their competition on the on the left coast and mm-hmm. saying we're we're in a scenario now we can own this thing. We're going to get all the money, and so. But I I think at the end of the day, the, the Big Ten folks will tell USC. Hey, sit tight. This is what we're doing. Much like the SEC told Texas A&M. I know you don't like it about the whole Texas thing, guys, but guess what? It's happening. The ink is dry. You know, sit quietly and and cash your check. I found out as a Texas Tech
0: fan last year as a college football fan, when I really had to ask myself where I wanted uh, Texas Tech to be, It wasn't the Pac-12. And that was in part because of the things I already described, knowing that they were a dead conference walking, which another thing I didn't actually list there was the fact that USC's third tier rights, they were getting about as much money as like Texas Tech, maybe 15, 20 behind UT, OU, all these others. That was not tenable. That was not going to last. And again, the Pac-12 had nothing, absolutely nothing to do, no bullet in their gun uh, to help that situation. So this has been inevitable for a considerable period of time. But Chris, what I learned last year and asking myself as a college football fan or a college sports fan, what I really wanted, it's just interesting weekends. And to me, that's more emotionally tied into those who are regionally based, those matchups that have any history to them really to any degree. You've lost what were the two most enjoyable games to me for the foreseeable future in the Longhorns and the Aggies, obviously. You try to cook up some heat with Texas Christian, but again, their fans kind of have to be reminded to be fans of that football team. Houston, Baylor, you're trying to cook these things up. But that's why I would have said even at that time, regardless of the Pac-12 being in dire straits or not, I'd rather just stay home and play the people I, I've already been mad at for a number of years. You know, does that make sense? I know that it oh, may yeah. not have even been the most uh, uh, lucrative decision. Maybe you would have made more money, say, in a, a healthy Pac-12, even though that wasn't a thing. But I, I just want to play games or go to games that... uh carry that special feeling that only college sports does it's, it's something that's not replicated on any other level and we're losing yeah. a lot of it
1: yeah and, and you know is usc iowa gonna do anything for anybody i mean at the end of the day it, it, i get it it's business and, and all the money but you know the fans are ultimately well, this has been beaten to death but the fans are ultimately the ones that lose nobody cares about that these schools are all doing what's best for them uh, i just don't know how what the long-term effects are going to be but that's also why you know, it's important because see, here's the thing. Here's what the PAC 12 does have. Here's the one thing they've got in their back pocket and it's worth, it's worth something. And we're going to find out how much those, those nighttime windows that we have discussed on a Friday and Saturday night, that they've got plenty of inventory there to feed ESPN with, you know, and Fox, you know, uh, you know, the, the nine o'clock kick on a Friday and Saturday night for, for 13 straight weeks, you've got 26 slots. That is worth something. However, if, if you take away and you end up with six, you know, Pac-12 schools and you're the Big Ten, guess what? Now you've got that inventory as well because you can mix it up enough to where there, there's enough home games there to where you're filling that up and you're just you're just owning this thing. And so and, and I think the Big 12 is looking at it from that standpoint too, because those two leagues if they soak up enough Pac-12 schools, they can fill up those late night TV windows on a variety of networks. And we're just talking ESPN and Fox right now. I just think that the streaming component, it's there. And I think that's why big 12 ultimately wants to know what ESPN and and Fox are, are willing to offer right now, because if, if it's not a certain number, I think that you know, Apple and, and YouTube and, and Amazon I and mean, all these different entities that are out there, if you want to start thinking outside the box, because they're getting involved in the NFL, and that's just they're they're showing their hand a bit and they're throwing big dollars around because let's be honest, Apple can outbid anybody. Amazon, you know, Amazon can out there, yep. outbid anybody. I mean they, they can they can do what they want if they if this is something they want to get into. And yep. I think Brett Yarmark is trying to figure out what if, if they want to get involved or not.
0: And one interesting note there on Amazon that I read after the the Big Ten announced their new television contracts was that Amazon took a big swing and was rebuffed and was kind of a second swing and a miss as it comes to sports. I think there was an attempt at an F1 contract not too long ago. I I can't speak to F1, but I wonder sometimes if some of these college decision makers might be a little too stodgy just yet to say, yeah, we really want to transition in a big way. To a streaming platform, I think many of them, and clearly they should because networks still move the needle, but many of them are like, dude, if it's not a three letter network or ESPN, where is it? And there's still plenty of that to make sense, but I kind of wonder if, because I've thought, man, this streaming thing is really going to begin to take root uh, with college sports in a big way because there's so much inventory. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe I've been a little quick to, to believe that because it hadn't happened yet, really.
1: No, Well, and it, it's we're, we're on the cusp at some level. Uh, we're on the cusp because now is the time if they want to get involved. Otherwise, all the inventory is going to be scooped up for a good long while. And so yeah. if these folks want to get involved and they've known this was coming. But I, I and I think it, it's worth mentioning that. You know the big 12 could end up being a, a big time espn plus you know member again for the long term too depending on what espn wants to do yeah i know i know but but, the, but this is it's a streaming component because it's as the as the consumer it's very frustrating not to be able to like flip the channel and, and switch around and all that stuff i get it you're kind of stuck However, I have been places where I popped it up on an iPad and all that stuff. So the streaming component, I get it. It's a pain, but this is kind of where some of this stuff is going for sure.
0: It's a wild world right now. And who knows as the way that everyone changes all kinds or uh, consumes all kinds of content changes, uh, what those habits and patterns are going to look like in years to come. All right, we'll move a little bit closer to home. And I think in summation, I, I would believe that. This is a good day for the big 12 and uh since i feel like the big 12 is going to be here for a little while i'm going to consider it a good day for texas tech and we're going to get back to texas tech coming up dead ahead as we'll take a closer look at new red raider defensive coordinator tim Deruder. a little bit different profile uh whenever it comes to seasoning as compared to the guy we discussed yesterday in zach kitley we'll hear from coach Deruder coming up next but first i want to tell you guys to check out betonline.net, the fastest, easiest way to check in on all the latest sports wagering, odds, and ends. You got all your favorite sports and events now at the number one online gambling resource. Every sport covered major league baseball, the NBA, NFL, NHL, UFC, golf, and beyond. Head to Bet Online today on your mobile device to learn more about what's going on this weekend. And saw him kicking out something. Uh, As we get closer to the weekend here, Chris, talking about differences in projected win totals uh, from a season ago to now. The Red Raiders, here's some good news, have improved by one, four and a half the number a season ago, five and a half uh, the number heading into this season. Do you have any inkling why there's a little bit more credit, at least (laughs) to the tune of one more win heading into this year? What do you think?
1: Well, Vegas always knows. I, I think there's a lot of people that are wanting to go over on a lot of these big 12 win totals that have been set, and it doesn't work like that. So it's just, you know, the math isn't there. Uh, I, I would guess for Texas Tech, though, you know, you, you you ended up with, what, seven last year? You know, seven wins? And I think that you finished up, you know, pretty strong with your season, and you beat Iowa State. You end up taking the conference champ uh, to the wire, and then you end up winning your bowl game, and you've got your quarterbacks back and all that stuff. So that, but it's still, if if it was me, I guess I would I would cu- be curious if people had because most Tech fans are going to look at five and a half and take the over. I get it. If it yeah, was man, set I'm right, <laughs> if it was set at six and a half, what would you do? That's that's the that's the that's the sweet spot on paper with what we know right now that's the sweet spot do you get to seven do you stay at six but um you know we we'll, yeah I because I think Baylor is picked to win the league by some and their win totals at seven and a half and I think right. people <laughs> all over that it's juiced it's juiced like crazy where if you take the over you got to spend a ton of money to win a little bit I mean so <laughs> but yeah the bet online folks they know Vegas knows And you can know, too,
0: if you find out right now by heading to betonline.net, where the game starts. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College
1: Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked
0: On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It's Locked On Texas Tech. Your team every day. On YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts. do subscribe. We'd appreciate it so much. Chris's children would appreciate it so much. Uh, we've got plenty to get to before we're done with you here today. We'll discuss Tyree Wilson getting some NFL attention as we get closer to this 2022 season. Coming up in just a bit, but first, uh want to do something similar to what we did yesterday. We took a closer look at a new offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, new offensive coordinator, but not a new name in West Texas. And now we wanted to flip it to the other side of the football and talk about the new defensive coordinator in Tim DeRuder. And Chris, will we'll talk about some of the differences and uh, what we've seen over the last couple of years here at Texas Tech on that side of the ball and maybe what we can expect here from Coach DeRuiter this season. But as I've uh, mentioned already here today, man, talking about the profiles of the two coaches, the tenures, the length, the age, <laughs> all of those things. Really dramatic contrast uh, for Coach McGuire between his OC and his DC. And I don't know that everybody will agree, but I'm of the frame of mind. I think that could be a really good thing.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, Tim DeRuiter – and this was a really fascinating hire to me. I think uh, there was some talk about, you know, where they try to go get Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State who ends up going to Ohio State. I mean, you know, and Joey's a defensive guy, but I was real curious who he was going to bring in here, Casey and – I think Tim is a very experienced guy. This is something he he's done at the power five level in this state and, and other places. I mean, and, and Oregon is big time. We were just talking about Oregon and, and the PAC 12. I mean, they've, they've played on big, big stages and he's coached really good defense up there. And I, I think it's, what's fascinating is, is Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, he's, he's, you know, coached a, a top end draft pick just last year. And so, and obviously he kind of knew Tyler Shuck as well from a, uh, there was a bit of a relationship there as the D.C. going against uh, Tyler in, in practices, but excited about what Coach Ruder can do. I think that you're starting to turn the page a bit because I think Keith Patterson was a real guy. I think you did see some improvement there. The roster is really old, and I think they've started to churn out some draft picks on that side of the ball. We'll get into that uh, potential for another one uh, in, in the next segment, but – I, th- I think Tim is, was pleasantly surprised with what he found. Now, they went and added a few pieces, but it'll be fun to kind of see what uh, Coach Ruder is up to. Well, there's been uh, a few years running now where I really thought,
0: for better or worse, uh, that Tech as a football team was going to be taken as far as their defense uh, would take them. And in some cases, that was because of some, uh, some good players that I really liked on that side of the football Uh, who are gone now, and in some cases, that was because the offense I really didn't feel like was going to be able to carry the burden like they had typically done for so many years. Now, I don't feel like it is a bad thing to be led by your defense. As a matter of fact, I think if if I had my druthers and could only have one or the other unintentional rhyme masters with us today, (laughs) I would have that team led by the defense. So, I don't think it's it's really a bad thing. And I'm not surprised to hear you say that when he shows up, he sees that there's a few dudes over there, especially right now, because whether you're talking about the secondary and I know that's where there is probably the heaviest concentration of dudes right now uh, within that defensive backfield. But uh, you got some pieces within the linebacking core and and certainly up front and not only Tyree Wilson. uh, There's a lot to like about.
1: I, I would agree. I, I think here's the scary part. There's a there's a lot of older guys on that side of the ball. Yeah. So we'll worry about that in the offseason and next year, but that they're gonna have to go shopping big time when it comes to the portal potentially in the offseason because there's a lot of age and experience on that side of the ball, especially in the secondary and potentially up front. So you could you could have wholesale changes on that side. But I think the one difference, Casey, in that what Coach DeRuiter wants to do and Coach Patterson wants to do is that I think you'll see some, some four-man fronts. You know, we've been largely a three-man front around here for a long time is what we've seen. And I think when you see them go at Miles Cole and Vinyl Scott and some different pieces on that defensive line, they wanted to give themselves enough options and length up front to be able to play with four-down linemen and 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 do it that way instead of always being in a, in an odd man front so that'll be a noticeable change but the the one thing that they do I think that, that coach Druder kind of prides himself on I think you go back and look at stats and whatnot is they really they really try to uh mask what they're doing and force a lot of interceptions that's kind of what he hangs his hat on is showing the quarterback a look and you think you're going to get a look and it changes week to week is what kind of what you, you'll you start to understand about his defense. And the quarterback thinks, okay, this is where the defender's going to be. And then week to week it's a bit different. And then you end up – they throw it to you on occasion. And yeah. so this is kind of what they're going to hang their hat on a little bit. So I think ultimately we'll be able to follow how good and successful this defense is. Not just by how they stop the run, but the interception number or potential interception number. Not that your guys are going to be able to grab them all the time, but that'll be an easy way to kind of determine if your if your scheme is working. You know, as we go along the season. Well, and we've seen before um,
0: playmaking, turnover creating defenses that are not the most talented or the deepest. Uh, if it's attributed to scheme or maybe just a few special ball hawks, a couple, few, whatever it might be. Uh, you can you can play that game without having, you know, an All-American-laden defense or being the best team. And as a matter of fact, if you're not going to be the most talented football team, which I doubt Texas Tech will be heading into this season, uh, as we mentioned, I think, yesterday, you know, turnovers can cover for a multitude of sins otherwise because there's nothing really more backbreaking than obviously taking the football away, uh, whether it's momentum in the stands or on the sideline or, or the field position battle or, or whatever it might be. Uh, and unfortunately, we have seen, Good grief. Some of the more extended turnover droughts that any college football fan base has had to sit through at some different periods over the last decade. But we did also see, I guess, uh, well, who was it? Art Kaufman into David Gibbs. Really? Was it Gibbs that that started to get the turnover number up? Um, Yeah, a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's, been, it's yeah, a little bit. I, boy, Art Kaufman, I hadn't heard that name in a while. and that, that hadn't been that, too, that long ago. Uh, I was but, in the midst yeah. of building a statue for the guy. Whenever they got out of here, I just got a nice
0: pair of bronze Dockers. <laughs> That's as far as I got, just up to the belt line. So the next man to win, you're getting the abdomen. <laughs> <laughs> J-
1: James Willis,
0: uh, that was before that. Yeah. I didn't get started on that one. I didn't yeah, quite no, get started yeah, on he, that he, one.
1: He was, he was barely here. He was barely <laughs> Chris, here. let
0: me ask you about what you said, though, pre-snap. For Tim Druder's defense, what kind of burden does this put on the players mentally to to really be sharp out there and and be disciplined in what they're doing?
1: I think there's a lot on them. I, I don't I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I think that's why I say that, that Tim was really pleasantly surprised with what he found here because he's had a, you know, look, it's it's hard for kids to learn a scheme and then dump it and then learn a new one with the, the, the language and the, the, the rules that they're responsible for and, and all those yeah. things. But I think he found an old enough group and a motivated enough group that – and Keith deserves a lot of credit because I think that people started to think about defense around here a little bit. And I'll be rooting for him like crazy at Abilene Christian. He's a real one, man. He's a West Texas guy and all that stuff. And I, I – I, you know – being standing there with him after that game in the Liberty Bowl in Nashville, uh, when excuse me, Memphis, not Nashville, Memphis. Whenever he, uh, they just did a number on Mississippi State, and he knew he was going to leave a lot of these guys here. And I think you know that they're very motivated. They they want to be a part of this thing as much as the offense does. And I think Tim, when he got here, that was one of the first things that you know we were preparing for the uh, the spring broadcast and and some of the media settings. That he did. It's like, man, were you pleasantly surprised with what you found? Because I mean, you know, we all know what the the knock is on Texas Tech, and it's kind of sure. been that that way for a while. And he was like, yes, I was. I was pleasantly surprised, like in a good way. And so we'll we'll see kind of what that looks like because they've got a lot of depth in, in the secondary, a lot of, of versatile pieces. There's not one guy back there that if he goes down, kind of like when Muddy Waters went down last year, you were in a bind. That that won't be the case this year. You've got a lot of versatile people, like Tyler Owens from University of Texas, and, and and Blankenbaker, the the kid from Wyoming. I mean, they just added depth to an already strong unit, and they're old. There are a lot of seniors and juniors there, so we'll, we'll see kind of what what that's worth to you as we go along. Blankenbaker, a distant cousin of Rowan Gardner, or is that a different line?
0: It's got to be somewhere near that family Vanderjagt. Not... <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> Look, uh, I mean, I don't know if you'd agree or disagree your best football players have been defenders for a few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know there's Izukamas and uh, there's Sir Roderick Thompsons. And I mean, you can name a few, but I just feel like if you look at the roster and you're making a top 15, you know, player list, uh, you're probably winding up with more than half of those. And maybe it's, you know, 11 to four or 12 to three that I felt like I'd say this guy's a better player, a more impactful player. And those guys are on the defensive side of the football and you've made some hay with them. I really do feel like, uh, you took some steps forward, and I know you got a new coaching staff and a, a new defensive coordinator, Tim Deruder. But that's what I'd like to see beginning coming up this weekend. Let's take a listen to Coach Deruder uh, discussing what he'd like to
1: see. I want to see our guys play hard and with confidence. Um, anytime you put a new scheme in, um, there can be some questions. And in, in certainly when we first uh, got together in the spring, you know they didn't know exactly how things fit. We've run a lot of, um, you know, reps. Uh, particularly with their ones and twos uh, uh, I expect that there may be some you know tweaks that that they're not going to have everything down uh, but we should play our fastest that that we've played since we've been here and I expect our guys to play extremely hard extremely fast um, and play with with a uh, you know an attitude that that we're we're going to get after people
0: you know, I, I hope I'm not reading too much into what you said when you're talking about trying to disguise some things and and, uh, and fool some quarterbacks because I interpret it a little bit as being maybe complex or a little complicated. Uh, I shouldn't say complicated, but just a lot of brain power probably devoted to, to some of that stuff for those defenders. And I do wonder, Chris, if that's something that sometimes will keep guys from playing fast because I, I absolutely believe uh, on a football field, there's such a thing as, as as thinking too much, isn't there?
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think Ruffin McNeil used to say that all the time. Man, uh, cl- clear minds equal fast legs, um, <laughs> and, and that's 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 true. And and a lot of coaches, you know, simplify just because, hey, man, let's just let's just run base and be simple. And and I so I I, I think uh, Tim, he he he's been around the this deal for a long time. He knows what he's got. I don't think they'll put too much on him early. Uh, because you'll, you'll have kids tell you this is a lot more aggressive than uh, we're than we than mm. we're used to playing. We're going to try to force the issue. And you, we've all heard that before, too. And then you sure. start getting into games and your offense doesn't score. And so you want to get out there and not be as aggressive because you give up a big play. And, you know, then you're not playing, quote unquote, complimentary football.
0: Yeah, and the guy behind me at the Jones is griping at the cornerback about his cushion over and over. And I'm like, dude, we're on offense right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's how it all snowballs. There it is, yes. the snowball full of dominoes again. <laughs> yes, yes. He has been around a long time. You're absolutely right. And you would think that that's going to really lend itself to an advantage when it comes to connecting with the players, leading the players, because clearly it's not just about uh, scheming and and, and strategizing. Uh, it's about you know inspiring those guys because belief, effort, etc., are the things that are gonna gonna get you somewhere or keep you from being where you want to be. And I, I hope that Coach DeRudder's time spent in college football will give him a chance to maybe have an advantage in that area. Coming up next, let's talk about one of those guys that he is certainly gonna be putting a lot on, and luckily that guy's got really big shoulders to carry that load. Tyree Wilson getting attention from the National Football League. Uh, We'll discuss what they're saying about the Red Raider defensive lineman. Coming up next on Locked On Texas Tech. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day on the Locked On Podcast Network with Chris Level. I'm Casey Cowan, just about set to wrap this one up. But before we are out of here, I wanted to uh, remain on the defensive side of the football. We were talking Texas Tech defensive coordinator Tim DeRuiter just a moment ago. But, uh, man, one of his stud bulls in 2022, there's no question about it, Chris, is Tyree Wilson. And much like the team at large, uh, Tyree Wilson finished last season in a large way. So I kind of feel like without that bowl game, A tech fan would view Tyree Wilson as a guy that really needs to play in an impactful way this season and probably is capable of that. But with the bowl game, I think it's become an expectation he will play that way. And as we're talking about here, the National Football League is seeing some things they like as well, aren't they? Uh,
1: I think that's really well said, what you what you the way you phrase that (laughs) about the bowl game. (laughs) Yeah, because (laughs) he's a monster. He was, and I think that people started to see the potential there because the, the measurables are something that Tyree has off the charts. Yeah. He is a large man. I mean, he's every bit of 6'6", 275, and he's got something to him, and it's really just about doing it consistently. I think what what is interesting is that he shows up on the Athletics' first initial mock draft, and again, this doesn't mean anything yet, but it is a clear sign of because I started to hear some things this summer. Yeah, the NFL folks think that Tyree could be as a first rounder, and I and I, I had my doubts. I, I just I don't mind saying that. I'm like, well, I, I can see that because if you if you check off the measurables box, th- that that's the biggest thing with the NFL. You got to you got to look the part and fit in these certain dimensions and all that stuff. But then if you can play, look out because then you start shooting up the, the right. draft boards. But and I you look think, at Tyree Wilson and you say built like a brick house yes check that box right yeah that's right that's right um but i I, the the way mock drafts work is they the people that put these together for cbs or espn or or the athletic in this case whoever they are talking directly to nfl scouts in some cases the people they're talking to aren't necessarily the decision makers that are going to make these picks however they are talking to people that have input on how draft boards are built and all that stuff. So I sum all that up to tell you that seeing Tyree Wilson at 27 in the first round of a mock draft is heavy steps. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, and I think what the, the 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 verbiage there what they indicate is he's quick enough to rush the passer and big enough to stop the run. And so I, you, 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 that means you know you're not a specialist. You're you're a guy that we can keep out there. You're not you know you know you're a guy we can invest in. And the top end of this draft is Will Anderson. I mean, he's a no-brainer top pick in the draft, or he's going to go one, two, or three. And one over the kid from Alabama could have maybe even done that this past draft, but he wanted to come back and get paid uh, by the folks at Tuscaloosa, and and hopefully not get hurt. But I, I think it's big time company, and it's it's just rare for Texas Tech to have a guy on defense as a projected first-round draft pick. But it don't listen to hearsay. It's right there in black and white, you know, if you check out The Athletic. And that's a reputable source. And and it doesn't mean he's going to be a first-round draft pick. I'm just saying it just kind of tells you what, their, what the thought is about it, uh, about what he could be. So let's just step back and see if he can get it done. Because if he's consistent, look out.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate you clarifying that too because when you first – Mentioned this as something to discuss earlier today. I was pulling up the Oakland Athletics mock draft, which I figured was put together with like chicken wire and I, Billy I Bean, seeing, baby. I don't even see Tyree on this list, but the yeah. Athletic is who's putting this together. I don't know, Chris. I think I'm still probably going to be in wait and see mode because honestly, last season, I mean, the measurables we we all know are there, but last season I didn't feel like he was anywhere near as consistently impactful as he probably should have been, and maybe I was expecting the acclimation and impact to be there a little bit quicker than I should have been. I don't know. But, you know, I think there was a month or so he he went without collecting a sack and it wasn't like he was exactly just lighting it up over and over and over to the tune of something, you know, all American, all conference, first team, that type of stuff. Like I think he's capable of, it was the bowl game. I mean, the ball game really, really made a splash like a cannonball into a swimming pool. I hope though that it's going to be more so not just, that splash that's isolated unto itself, but maybe kind of a launching point uh, where you're really thinking this guy's developing. We're seeing confidence grow with himself because it's not so easy to, to finish on that kind of note and sit around and and wait for whatever period of time you got to within the offseason. And I know they weren't sitting around exactly, <laughs> but it's not easy to follow that up, especially when now you're, you're kind of the guy. And I don't even know if there's a kind of to it. I know there are some guys on the back end of that defense a little bit more. Uh, known quantity to Tech fans. Uh, Creshawn Merriweather, I think a guy a little bit more known quantity. We remember what Tyree Wilson did in that, in that bowl game, but uh, he's pretty quick to join that group, I think, if he makes an impact early on. And if I'm a guy like Tyree Wilson or the team in general, that's part of why I'm stoked about this non-conference schedule because you're going to be gauging yourself against quality competition by week two, and it's going to continue – Uh, for the foreseeable future after that. So, hey, you want to make an impact? You want to continue to turn uh, National Football League heads? Well, your opportunity is here right now. I I don't know how much we'll get to see out of them coming up on Saturday night, uh, but first month of the year, um, we'll find out to a degree at least, hey, was the bowl game just a flash in the pan? Or was that, again, a catapulting kind of launching point that really sent you into another stratosphere of Big 12 football because I, I feel like he's got the potential uh, to be an all-conference player, don't you?
1: Yeah, and and that's, that's also telling in that I don't know how many all-conference teams he was on in the preseason, uh, I think, but I'd rather be on this list than those uh, as far as the NFL folks uh, because the Preseason, folks, they don't pay you any money like the NFL. Yeah, folks. what's the slotted value of the third team preseason <laughs> yeah, uh, All Big Twelve? Yeah. <laughs> and I think you you nailed it in that. Ultimately, we'll know how well Tyree Wilson is playing by how often we mention his name. Yep. you know, if if we don't hear his name much, you know, I mean, because there's if we if we're mentioning his name, you know, two or three times at least every Saturday. For good reasons, obviously. Then I think he's got some serious money to make. But if if not, if if it just disappears or he hadn't he hadn't made any game changing plays, then you know it it he he he'll end up getting picked. Make no mistake, he's going to the NFL. Somebody's going to scoop him up at some point. But you know, there's no. a difference between first rounder and fourth rounder and sure. and things like that. But but and, and you know, let, let's just call it what it is, man. His team needs him to be a dude. I mean, you, you really need a guy like that to hang your hat on and to make plays and change games for you. Uh, and it's been a while since – I mean, Jordan Brooks, I guess, was the last one that that you you just say, turn him loose, man. He's going to do something good for you every single Saturday. But, but previous to that, it's been a while. Well, and go back to, to some of those great teams uh, that you had uh, within the Mike
0: Leach era. And, um, you know, I think about some of those pass rushers. You really had a, a nice run there with some guys that could – get to the quarterback and just wreak havoc, even if you're not able to collect the sack to
1: some prolific. Shout number. out to McKinner Dixon. Brandon Sharp. Put him Shout on. L- I mean. Brandon Sharp. Daniel Howard. Uh, yeah, you had uh, yeah, yeah. the Williams
0: kid. Oh, he's a Brandon. Brandon Williams. Yeah, he got um, drafted by the Cowboys. I mean, you just had guys that are real disruptors. They had to be accounted for, and often more than one guy uh, was having to account for them. And by the way, when you had guys within the interior of that, like you might have, uh, with Hutchings and Bradford and some of these cats within the middle. I mean, you really could be disruptive up front, and that's where some winning football is going to start. It uh, wasn't too long ago I was engaged in an exercise of ranking the most impactful positional groups on a roster, and the defensive line was was number one on my list. Chris, I just feel like if I, if I had unlimited resources to build a football team, I, I'm starting there first uh, with guys that can really disrupt what the offense is trying to do. Tyree Wilson is a guy that's going to have a chance. Uh, to do that beginning this Saturday, man. Can't wait uh, to get to Jones Stadium coming up Saturday night. But before then, still got a couple go-arounds here on Locked On Texas Tech. Appreciate you guys for hanging with us today. And want you to do it again tomorrow because it's your team every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. Appreciate you for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen. And, of course, whenever you're done with us and thanking Texas Tech, Check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 as we're getting you ready for the National Football League season coming up right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Chris, I'll see you the next time around for another edition, my man. Keep hope alive, man. Going to do it. For Chris Level, I'm Casey Cowan. You do the same. We'll see you tomorrow on Locked On Texas Tech.